Okay, tonight's class, title, Faith in Times of Personal Inner War. Why are we talking about faith in times of war at all? Is because of this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion reads, Ki when you will go out to war. And we have a bunch of laws about what happens when you go out to law. It started at the end of last week's Torah portion, a little bit of the word laws, and then it goes into this week's um, portion, where again it opens up with a continuing law concerning how soldiers have to behave when they go to war and uh, the prisoners they bring back from war. But what I want to talk about here today is, now, I mean, thank God we're not at war. Well, I shouldn't say we're not at war. But um, be it as it may, I wanted to talk about it on the inner dimension, what it means to us, what it means to us in our personal lives. So let's begin with a simple law in the book of Maimonides. There is a prohibition. It is simply a sin for a soldier in time of war to be afraid of war. And obviously Maimonides wants to understand this. What is the practical implication of this? Some people are, you know, Rocky Rambo and some people are not. I mean, what do you want from this person? This guy is afraid of war. He's afraid to be out in the battlefield. It's a, it's a mess out there. And the Rambam explains that the prohibition of not being afraid to go to war basically is about the faith that God is with us. We're not fighting our own war. The Jewish people went to law, war because the uh, court of law, the high court, uh, told the king that it's okay to go to war. So then we have the court of law, which represents the Torah, which is the will of God. At this point, we're not going to war because we want to go to war. We're going to war because the judges felt that this is a case where we have to go to war. So if that is the case, then we know that God is with us. So the law of not being afraid of going to war is basically the focus that God is with us. But yet, it's all good and fine when we're sitting in the protected environment of a shul discussing this. It's a little different when you go out to the war. And I actually saw a clip on YouTube, uh, an actual clip of uh, Israeli soldiers that were taking over a hospital then where there were terrorists in there. And when you listen to that, you know, when we read the books of the Israeli war, it sounds so organized, so thought out and so planned, you know, executed like, uh, you know, a banquet and uh, the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah, the guys in, in headquarters on paper have it all worked out, but the soldiers sitting there in the dark and screaming and they don't know if the shots are coming from friends or foe, and then, the, then they hear that the, you know, one guy was captured and in the video, the YouTube, you see this guy, it was his commander. He says, I'm going in after him. The other guys are stopping him. You can't go in after him. I mean, it's, it's a balagan. Not every mind is cut out for, to be in the battlefield. So even though you know that God is going to help you, you know, <laughs> I mentioned this once before, um, one of the Lubavitcher Rebbitsons, the Rebbitson of the 5th Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, there was uh, hard times. That was the time the 5th Lubavitcher Rebbe is the one that had to leave Lubavitch and, and take Lubavitch to Rostov because of the war and everything. And uh, so she once, you know, was talking about the difficult times and how dangerous it is for the boys in the yeshiva and then general for any Jew on the street was dangerous then. So one of the other chassidim told the Rebetzin, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Hashem will protect us. And she answered back, of course it's going to be okay. But we need to survive until then too. So even if you have faith 
that the war, victory is ours. We're battling with the name of Hashem and we don't go to war unless we absolutely need to. We're not a people of war. And if we have to, we have to. And then it's a commandment that we have to. And of course Hashem will help us. But I'm talking about from the beginning of the war until the victory of the war, there's chaos in between. So even though the focus is that Hashem is going to help us and protect us and victory will be ours, in the chaos, we need to understand what exactly it means that a soldier cannot be overcome with panic and fright and so forth and so on. So the Rambam explains that the commandment reads as it's talking to the heart, not to have fear. Fear is in the heart. But the Rambam explains, like in all the mitzvahs that talk about emotions, the mitzvah is talking to the brain. Which means if you control your thought pattern, then automatically you're controlling your heart. I've shared this with you many times from this platform of this Tuesday night class, that emotions is a boiling hot pot. You don't touch a boiling hot pot. The only way to touch the pot is through the handle. The handle to the hot heart is the brain. So the Rambam explains that the commandment of not being afraid of war, of course it's talking to the heart. But it's actually talking to the thought garment, the brain. Simply speaking, it's telling you that you must control your thought. In the previous Rebbe's diary, it's uh, over here in the shul in the bookcase right behind you. There's a book, uh, A Prince in Prison. Previous Rebbe wrote a diary of his entire arrest. He was beaten and uh, what was going on then in 1929 at 27. And what happened was that at that time, he writes, if you read his diary, right after he was arrested, in the beginning of his diary, he writes how he started all of a sudden thinking about his mother. His mother wasn't well and the, the panic she had and the fear and the tears when they came to arrest her son. Um, he, th he talks about his wife, he talks about his three daughters, and then he starts talking about his chassidim, imagining at that moment clearly in his mind having an image of which chassid was running to where, to do what, to make sure that everything's going to work out. And all of a sudden he writes, but I cannot think about this right now, I must be strong for what's facing me. That last sentence is exactly what the Rambam's talking about. We do not have the luxury to entertain certain thoughts on the battlefield. When the previous Rebbe was arrested for running the entire underground movement, keeping Judaism alive in Russia, single-handedly at the time, he didn't have the luxury to sit and think of anything that would weaken his heart on the battlefield. So as much as he was hurting for his mother, his wife, his daughters, and his chassidim, nevertheless, the line finishes there very clearly. I cannot think about this right now. So when we talk about faith, and you've heard me say this to you before, I quoted to you Tanya, the Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya, the word emuna comes from imun yad. The word imun, it means to develop a routine um, a hand, the, the, those who are into art, when you do it for years and years and years, the hand develops, it develops a grab. It, it doesn't even need the conscious mind. The consciousness of the hand, it just moves into position because it's been doing it for so long. So too with your thought garment. 
When you train your thought garment to think in a certain way, it becomes a groove for your thought garments and automatically you learn to think in a certain way. And that's why thinking negative, thinking anxiety, thinking this will create a groove. So the word amuna really means a thought pattern to keep on thinking consciously like a horse holding on to the reins not letting the horse go away from the road regardless of it spoofing out because of noises in the grass regardless that it wants to stop and eat or drink graze whatever it may be no we're holding on tight to that horse which is about to go for a gallop and the horse we're talking about is your thought pattern and you're telling yourself no we're sticking on this road we're thinking about God is protecting us. We're thinking about it's going to be good. And I'm going to come back home safely. So the first and foremost emuna that the Rambam tells us is an outright mitzvah in the Torah. Is to totally control your thought pattern. To have absolute emuna, faith that Hashem is fighting this war for us. We're just his conduits and therefore victory is ours and we have nothing to fear that is the most fundamental faith we need to have in times of war i'm going to bring this into our personal war in a moment our inner wars but i want to first introduce two more levels of emuna and as i wrote in the uh, invite to today's class that in the first verse we're already taught one of the most fundamental secrets of faith at time of war. And then we go further and we'll soon have the third level. Let's first talk about the, first le the, the second level, which is the first one I'm going to introduce right now. The verse says, The word al means what? And if you guys know why el al is called el al. El means to, al means on. You're going to somewhere by going up, on. The word al means on. So what it really is saying is, even though most translations is when you go to war against your enemy, the real translation here is not against, it's actually upon, al. So the approach of the war is that we're not two equal pairs. It's not me against an equal pair, my enemy. We're not looking eye to eye. The first important thing the verse is telling you is your approach to the battlefield. Your approach to the battlefield is that we stand above this. Why do we stand above this? Because we're upon the shoulders of giants. But the bottom line is, that this war is from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain. We're not standing equal, how much more so we're not fighting an uphill battle. So the focus over here is al ovecha. Now let's talk about this. Why and how do we know that it's al ovecha? Simple answer that my teacher would have told me in yeshiva was because the verse says so. What are you asking? But let's get into the verse what is the verse teaching me what does it mean that every time i have a fight and i'm not talking about a fight where my yitzhahara is pulling me by the nose to have a fight 
We're talking about a fight where good versus evil, an inner battle between me and a certain pattern I need to stop, or an or, uh, issue I'm having with a fellow person, and I need to battle with myself, and uh, hey, Avrami, be a little humble, patient, or whatever it is. How much more so if we're talking about a type of war where Israel is dealing with terrorists? It's an outright war of goodness versus evil, plain and simple English. So how do we know that we're always al ovecha? So to understand this, we need to go to a little bit of a Kabbalistic understanding of creation. When we talk about creation, Rashi tells us, our sages tells us right in the beginning, Bereshit stands for Bet Reshit. The word Reshit means what? Comes to the word Rosh, heads. Bet Reshit means there are two heads. What does it mean there are two heads? What it means is that there are two missions, center core existences for which everything else was created. Everything else serves a purpose. These two are the purpose. And what are those two things? And it brings two verses. One, it speaks about the Torah, and the other one, it talks about the Jewish soul. And what does it mean that the world is created for these two? What it really means is that the world was created so that the Jew can actualize what it says in the Torah. So in order to be able to do mitzvot on a physical level, which is where it really all happens, spiritual is just empowerment, Physical is the actuality of what Torah and mitzvahs wants. So when we talk about spiritual dimensions of uh, whatever it may be, a Shabbos table, that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the physical Shabbos table, the physical guest, the physical kiddush, the physical challah, and the physical food that you're going to eat. And the divrei Torah, of course, that you say by the table, the songs, and the atmosphere that you bring into it. But were we only to meditate on the spirituality of Shabbat and the Shabbos table, we didn't do the mitzvah. So, therefore, Bereshit bar alakim et ha'aretz, because of these two reshits, God created heavens and earth and everything that heaven and earth encompasses. So, what is the bet reshit? That the Jewish soul was sent down here to fulfill Torah mitzvot. Now, from a Kabbalistic perspective, what this tells me is there's two wills, W-I-L-L, as in um, what Hashem wants. There is the interior will and there is the exterior will. External, internal. What does that mean? External means I don't want this, but the only way to get to that is through this, Thus, I want this. The perfect example for our discussion tonight, God does not want evil. But God wants the precious, the precious hard struggle that a Jew has when he's faced with freedom of choice so that everything becomes meaningful. And therefore, God has to create freedom of choice, which means God has to create both choices. If not, you're running a Russian elections, right? You have the right to vote for the only candidate that's on the slot. That's not a real vote. So Hashem has to make two choices, good or evil. And why does God do that? Not because God wants the evil, but because the evil serves a purpose. 
that when the Jew has the choice for good or evil and he chooses good, then everything is actually beginning to happen in the most precious level. So what we're hearing over here is that there's the external will. God didn't create this because this is what he wants. God created this because that is what he wants and this is how that becomes possible. Make sense? Got you all with us here? The this and the that. Right? Sounds almost like who's on first. But the situation here is that now we understand that whenever we go to war, the enemy exists only because God willed it to exist. Because if God doesn't will something to exist, it doesn't exist. But how can we say that? God wills the enemy to exist. God wills the enemy to attack. God wills for evil to prevail. No. God wills for us to stand up for what's right. For us to have to make this decision. For us to have to be brave enough, full of faith, to stand up for what's right in the face of what's wrong. So yes, there is the will of God for evil to exist, for if he did not will it, it would not exist. But when you look at it and you realize that this is the internal will against the external will, and the only reason the external will exists is to serve the internal will, then you have a total different focus on the battlefield. So let's go over this. I saw a, uh, a nice magnet on a fridge. Why is it that opportunity whispers while temptation knocks down the door? It's a question that were I to tell you the source of this magnet on the fridge is actually the holy Rebbe Yitzhak Badichev. Rebbe Yitzhak Badichev once said to Hashem, why is it? that all the holy and pure things you put on books and bookshelves, all the unholy and impure things you put on the street. And then you want to know why the Jew sometimes slips. Why don't we do it the other way around? Why don't we put all the impure, unholy things into books? Why don't we put all the holy, pure things onto the street? And then let's see if your people will sin. That was the word from the Badichiva. I do want to tell you that I have not seen this written by the Rebbe, but I was told that the Rebbe once answered this. In other words, the Rebbe likes the question <laughs> and leave it at that. But I heard that the Rebbe once answered it, and I'm going to give it to you in my own words. The Rebbe wasn't talking about exactly what I'm going to say right now. But for those of you that place bets on sports, you notice something called a cap. Because if you have a stronger team and a weaker team, then you don't win the bet if the stronger team wins by just one or two points. You have to measure how much better the better team is than the weaker team, and that's the cap that they have to win by. So if they only win by one point, they, you don't win the bet. But if you win by seven points, for example, and that's what the cap is, then you win the bet. Why is that so? Because the people involved know that this team is so much stronger than that team. So you have to give them the handicap. You have to give them that head start. So it's not like that in the actual game, but it's like that for betting. How do I know about that? I read about it somewhere. But the bottom line is, to what we want to talk about, it's the same thing with the Jews' innate pull to goodness. The innate pull of the soul 
is to do what God wants. So if we would have made it, forget about just what the Baditra is saying, to put evil and purity into the books. If you would have even made them both on the street or both on the books, it would be unfair for evil because evil wouldn't stand a chance. It's only because God gave evil this handicap, this real powerful handicap, where virtual reality is in your face and reality reality is in the books, that he has a chance to draw a Jew into sinning. Otherwise, it would be out of the question. But let's go back to what we're talking about here. So now you understand that Hashem wills it not only does Hashem will it to be that way, but Hashem makes it look as if virtual reality is reality and reality is abstract for dreamers, for idealists who are willing to die for some foolish idealism, yada yada, and then go deal with the struggle. But if you're able to see what's really going on, if you're able to see that what's really taking place here is that God did this all so that when you make your decision, it should be worthy of reward and precious. You have a total different understanding. So the faith over here is that before I even enter into the battlefield, I have station identification of who I am and who my enemy is. I am the internal will. I am the purpose of creation. To quote Maimonides, Every person has to say that the entire world scale depends upon me. It's balanced and any one of my choices will tip the scale for the entire universal balance. And then on the other hand, I need to know station identification who and what is the enemy. The enemy is the external will. Which leads me to point number three. If you're paying attention to what we're saying here, and that's rhetorical, of course you're paying attention, what we're really saying over here is, let's go to the rest of the verse. What does this Torah portion talk about? When you go out to war upon your enemies because you stand above them, and what is the portion talking about? And you will bring back a prisoner. Vishavisa Shivya. You will bring back a prisoner. Which takes it to the next level. I just wanted the flow to go. But now I'm going to stop for a moment. And I want to introduce one more situation into the second level. You see, everything is beautiful when things go as planned. What happens if they don't go as planned? See, there's a verse that was in last week's Torah portion which is very, very, very painful. It says, and those who are afraid of war, the soft-hearted people, go home. There are four people that go home. One who's in his first year of marriage, one who's in the first year of building a house, one who's in the first year of planting a vineyard, and then those who are afraid. What is the definition of those who are afraid? So there's an argument. One says, it just means people, you know, some people faint at the sight of blood. You ever hear these horror stories? My mother worked in <laughs> my mom in this hospital in the maternity. And she would tell me these horror stories where the brave husband walks into the room and all of a sudden the doctors have a dilemma because the baby's coming out, but the, the husband's laying on the floor, passed out. You know, there's some people that that's just the way they are. 
They're faint-hearted. So if you're faint-hearted, go home. There's another interpretation which says we're not talking about the faint-hearted. We're talking about people who have fear with a cause. What is the cause of fear? Is because they know that they sinned. And if they know that they sinned, then God's protection may not be upon them. And that's why they're afraid. Going all the way back to Jacob, Jacob, when he faced Esau, he spoke of that fear. I, Hashem, promised him already and he made a deal and everything. But Rashi in the commentaries explained, Katointi, maybe I used up my merits and maybe my sin has caused that God's commitment to me to protect me, I botched up. So what happens if we just fear with a cause? This fear with a cause. I have a real reason why to be afraid. Of course God protects. And of course victory is ours. But maybe my sins have removed me from the clouds of glory, the clouds of protection that goes with the Jew, a time of war. So that person doesn't have to have a muna. That person is given a patur, a pass to go home. So I want to share with you an amazing teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. And I'm teaching it to you, I'm sharing this with you, in the context of emuna. Shall we say emuna for sinners, which is what we all need to have if we're going to have emuna. As our sages say, there's no person who doesn't sin. So, Baal Shem Tov says as following, as follows. He says that sin is called the bite of the serpent. Why is it called the bite of the serpent? Because the first sin happened through the serpent with Eve, with Adam, with the tree of knowledge. But he zooms in on this concept. What is dangerous about the bite of a serpent? The laceration itself has zero danger. Two holes, two fangs, there's zero danger. You go ahead and you stitch it up, you probably wouldn't even have to stitch up a bite of a snake. The danger is, if we're talking about a venomous snake, and the venom is now flowing in the blood. Let's talk about this. The bite, the actual laceration, the ripping into the skin, is the act of the sin. And yet there's nothing dangerous about that. That itself could be healed and taken care of. Teshuva. What is dangerous is the venom that flows from the sin into your blood, and now the poison is eating the person up alive. What is the venom of sin? The venom of sin is the rotten feeling you have after sin. The feeling that I am a nobody, I can't believe I did it, I did it again, I'm so stupid, I'm so weak, I'll never get over this, I am just rotten from the inside out, 
I am a sinner. God will never forgive me. God will never protect me. I'm despicable in his eyes. Do I have to continue? Or we've all played this tape to ourselves at some time or another. That's what's dangerous. The sin itself is not dangerous. The sin itself lets you know that you're human and you have to do teshuva. Again, my dear friends, taking for granted that we're all mature and we don't think that way before we sin. Oh, don't worry, this is not dangerous. We'll just do teshuva because the Gemara talks about that. He who says, I will sin and do teshuva, God doesn't make it so available so they should do teshuva because teshuva was the cause of sin. So how can teshuva be the cure for sin? Okay? But in our situation, where we're not talking about foresight, we're talking about hindsight. Hindsight tells me that sin is not the end of the world. I did it. Let me do teshuva. Let me never do it again. And let God proudly say upon me, I testify, this boy slipped, he got up, and he changed his ways. The danger is the poison that the Yitzhahara slips into you, that venom that begins to flow into your blood and start playing havoc with your brain and heart. So when I talk to you about Amuna in the time of war, I'm talking about Amuna even to the Yerach Levav, the person who is faint-hearted with a good reason to be faint-hearted. Because he or she knows where they've been and what they've done. And even that person needs to absolutely be able to embrace that there's nothing to be afraid of if I have a Muna, a Muna that I'm going to win this fight. I slipped, I got up, and I'm going to get back on my horse, and I'm going to continue fighting for Hashem. I had a teacher who always used to tell me these words. Rumi, on the battlefield, there's no time to cry. You get up, get back after your horse. You can't even wipe off your pants because you're going to get killed. Get back onto the horse and continue charging. So there is no time for these venomous thoughts. Crying will do when the battle's over. Right now, we need to get up, do teshuva, and march on. And that amuna comes from the understanding that everything that exists, exists only so that I can serve God. That is the only reason why anything exists, including the enemy, including the sin I just committed 10 minutes ago. Even the enemy exists only so that I can rise up. So the moon over here is I mean it I go to war I realize that why am I at war I'm at war because I'm battling upon not against not up but upon from up down upon my enemy what gives me the brazenness to say up on is because I know that everything is the external will how much more so the enemy is the external will only here dressed as temptation really presenting opportunity 
So when temptation knocks down your door, what you should really be hearing is the whisper coming out of temptation, saying, I am opportunity if you use me right. Which basically means the enemy is telling us, you own me. I exist only for you. Which now leads me to the third point, which I started a moment ago, but I wanted to go back. Which leads me to the point of the purpose of war. The purpose of war is to bring back captives. There are sparks, opportunities, elevations, revelations that lie hidden only within the concealment of evil. That's just the way it is. That's why Isaac loved Esau, because he saw the power of opportunity and potential that lied within him. It was Rebecca who was open-eyed, who understood that all the potential of Esau is to naught if we don't put Jacob in the driver's seat. So yeah, the stallion's got a lot of power and potential, only if it has a very focused and controlled, disciplined rider. So what's really happening here is that the Amuna over here is not only that A, God is with me, not only B, the entire existence of the enemy is so that I can become stronger. But see, it is within the enemy itself that lies my secret to victory. To be able to see the godly sparks within and pull it out. There's a verse, a verse that's very famous Amongst Chabad, the Alter Rebbe said that when he recited that verse, he was immediately notified that he was released from prison. And it's in the middle, towards the end of chapter 55, in the book of Psalms. Pada b'sholom nafshi ki hoyu imodi. The soul was redeemed peacefully, without bloody warfare. Peacefully was redeemed. Why? Because the multitudes were with me. And our sages explain that this verse was written by King David when he was actually going to war with Avshalom, who tried to proclaim himself king. And the commentaries say, what does it mean the multitudes were with me? What it means was that the men of Avshalom were praying for my victory. The enemy is praying for my victory. So the external will knows why it exists and it knows that if I fall prey to its temptation then not only have I schlepped myself into the sewer system but I have totally totally annihilated their purpose the example that's given is an example in the Zohar the Zohar and Rashi quotes it the Tanya quotes it like the metaphor of the prostitute in Zohar. What is the metaphor of the prostitute in Zohar? So it explains that the king knew that his prince 
is an amazing, amazing child. Educated, disciplined, and all. But the king also knew that there's a little problem here because the prince is being brought up by a protected environment. I don't know how disciplined he will be if he's let out of the protected environment. I shared with you the story once before about this guy who had the part in the play. Remember that uh, I once shared it with you? The person had the part in the play. He had one line in the whole play. And the line was that when the cannon goes off, he was to bellow out real loud, the war has begun. But of course, in rehearsal, they weren't going to shoot cannons. So they would have one of the stagehands hold up the sign that said, bam, you know, <laughs> like the old Batman shows. And what would happen then? He would see the sign and he would know that in his mind the cannon went off and he would stand up and scream, the war has begun. New opening night on Broadway, he brings his whole family, the whole shtetl came to see their friend having this one amazing line in the play. And he's standing there waiting for the moment, waiting for the moment, waiting for the moment, and all of a sudden the cannon gives an explosion, he jumps, what was that? It's very, very different when you're in the protected environment and there's a stagehand giving you an illusion, a very safe illusion that a cannon just went off. It's very different when you're there and it actually happens. The entire situation becomes different. So, we're talking about the faith. We're talking about the faith of understanding. When you're able to look and see that this king understands that my son, king is God, son, prince and princess, you and I, in a protected environment, we have no proof of the discipline. So the king has no choice but to go ahead and take away the protected environment so that he's not just reading about temptation, he's actually facing temptation, uncontrolled temptation. And now let's see what the boy does. So the Zohar says that the king hires a woman of ill repute. And the king knows that the way she's dressed, there's no way she'd even pick up the prince's attention. He just doesn't go for that type of stuff. So it's the king that gives her a royal hairdo, royal makeup, royal clothing, royal jewelry, just so that she would have a standing chance of even grabbing the attention of the prince. And then he tells her, this is what I want you to do. Entice my son. Now, let's focus on what's going on here. You see, I need to give you one little more Kabbalistic introduction, which I spoke about a lot tonight, but let's just lay it straight out on the table. In many other religions, there's a war. There's the Satan and there's God. In our religion of monotheism, there is no God and nada, because if it's God and, it's not monotheism. There's more than just one. Hashem Echad doesn't mean there's only one God and not a bunch of little gods and the big gods and middle gods. It means that there's only God. God is everything and everything is God. So there is no Satan versus God. The Satan is a loyal subject of God who was created to do what he was meant to do. As the verse said, and God saw all that he was created and it was good. Our sages say good means the good inclination. But it actually says very good. Our sages say the word very means the Yetzirah. 
because it's only within the power of the Yetzirahara to bring the very good potential out of the Jewish soul. Squeeze and you produce oil. So understand that even though when I say the parable, you would think to yourself, well, this woman of ill repute is no loyal subject anyway. Wrong. In the Zohar, every, every existence is a loyal subject of the king, including Satan. And Satan is what we're talking about when we talk about the woman of ill repute. So let's go over this. She knows the only reason she exists and the only reason she was hired was for what reason? That the prince should succumb or the prince shall overcome? She reaches her fulfillment of existence by winning or by losing? By losing. Because that is her true purpose of existence. That the prince should look her in the eye and say, no thank you. That means that she, for her own being, how much more so because she's ultimately a loyal subject of the king, as she's sitting there enticing the prince, what is she praying for? To win or to lose? To lose. She's praying for the prince to tell her no. Let's put this in perspective of what we're saying here in the ultimate emuna, faith in time of war. Regardless of what your inner challenge is, and it looks like your enemies, we're talking about now the enemies from within, it looks like your enemies want to eat you up alive. They want to make sure there's no shred of decency left to you, no shred of commitment, no shred of purity. You can't take a breath without being attacked by gushes of all type of thoughts coming from all directions from the Sahara. For no reason, you look at someone, I don't like that person. Why? I don't know. Where did that come from? Didn't come from your godly soul, tell you that much. Every single thing, you're driving under 95 and the person cut you off because they're rushing somewhere. You weren't rushing anyway. No, you got to get angry. Oops. Another message. From who? The Sahara. So if you stop and think just through your day, how many times the Itahara attacks you from every single corner, from the worst and the lowest to the most highest, they're all from the Itahara. And you think to yourself, God, what do you want from me? You want to eat me up alive. Give me a break. Give me just a couple of minutes without any Itahara. Just let me just drop my guard for a second knowing it's safe. It's okay. I'm going to be okay. No. You drop your guard for a second and you lost it. You slip, you fall, and you got to get back up and it's not easy to get back up. Of course, doable, but not easy. And at that time, when you're having all these doubts, we're telling you, and not only that, not only is God with you, not only are you on top of your enemy because his whole existence is only for you, more than that, you're to bring back prisoners. You're to bring back prisoners because every single power of passion and temptation is an amazing opportunity if we can bring that into serving God. 
You see, most of us, most of us always have this picture. And it's even projected that way in cartoons. Evan noticed that the good guy never looks cool. You like wonder why the kids always want to act out the bad guy. Of course. <laughs> we always have this vision. Holiness is this old, stern, emotionless, cold, disciplined rabbi who's always got this nasty look on his face because you did something wrong. And sometimes the only thing you did wrong was you smiled. How dare you smile in this place of awe? That's the way we have a picture of it. Most people are afraid of getting involved with, with religion because they think I'm not ready to die. Die as in, I want to feel alive, I want to have passion, I want to have excitement, I want to enjoy life. You can't do that if you're going to be observant. Because again, that picture, the bony finger of the rabbi pointing at you, that's the way we look at it. Passion belongs to the other side. Discipline belongs to this side. And yet amazingly enough, the definition of a chassid life was always the ultimate experience of joy and passion and fervor. That's what chassidim were always known for. Breaking into a dance in a heartbeat. Always with a melody coming out of somewhere. See, what happens is that the enemy... The enemy, if you strip it from its evil armor, is actually a beautiful opportunity. If you can just pop the burst, the bubble of temptation, and when the balloon fizzles down, inside you see an amazing gem of opportunity. Passion, power, fervor, feeling alive. Just every part of you tingling when you do a mitzvah. So, A, faith at time of war that God is with us because it's his war. La Shem HaYeshua, unto God is salvation. There's two ways to read that verse. One is that the power of salvation lies in God's hand. The second way of reading that verse is La Shem HaYeshua. If we win, it's God's victory. If we lose, it's God's loss. La Hashem HaYeshua. Who will be saved? If we win this war, God's name will be saved. God's glory will be saved. So understanding that, how can we not have faith that it's going to be okay? Step number two is understanding We're not eye to eye. We're definitely not grasshoppers looking up to giants. We're giants looking down at grasshoppers. And why so? The simple concept that we explained, bet reshit. Everything exists as an external will so that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish. Which leads us to the third faith that ultimately speaking, our enemy is praying that we win. Because their mission and purpose in tempting us and fighting us and struggling with us is that we utilize them to enhance our commitment to God. Greater is he who was tested and won than he who was never tested. Because he who was tested and won, the crushing of the test, 
that digging deep within your fountain of strength brings you to a total new consciousness and relationship and commitment with God. Yeah, I'm going over time. I just want to drive home. I don't want you to make one big salad out of these three different faiths. I purposely lined it up as three different levels. There's one level of faith which is simply understanding unto God is salvation. It's His war and therefore He's with us and we're going to win this war. There's another one understanding who I am. I am the internal will. I am the internal will because everything that exists exists for me to serve God. Everything that happens to me in my life, whether it looks pleasant or God forbid not, whether it looks opportunity or God forbid temptation, it all exists for me to serve God because everything was created by God, the external will, so that I can fulfill Torah and mitzvahs in a precious way, freedom of choice. The third level is that not only do I stand upon them because I'm the internal will and my challenges are the external will, but even my challenges are praying for my victory because their true fulfillment of mission and existence, their purpose is for me to win. Thus they pray that I win, like the story I told you from the Zohar. And that's it, guys.